Well, I started off 2015 with a certain text, and I want to end this year with the same text. Uh, It comes from the idea of looking back. And I want to learn today, or at least discuss, the idea of looking back properly. There's some good ways to look back, and there's some bad ways to look back. There are some people that look back in their lives, and they they have the stare, the locked-in stare of their past. And all they see is their failures, and all they see is all the crap they've been through. And their life is defined by their history, and that is not what we've been called to. There are others who choose, I'm not looking back at all. They play this and go, la, 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 I'm not looking back at all. I'm not even going to bother hearing anything about the past. What's in the past is the past. The Bible says so. So what's, I don't look behind me anymore. I look only at what's ahead. And they, they pull the immature approach of just wanting to look ahead. I'm not looking back. No, no, no. That's all behind me. God's forgotten that. God's forgiven all that. La, 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 la. That's not healthy either. So I want to look at how to look back properly. There's wisdom in using our past as markers. There are markers in our life and our lives that we can look back at and go, okay, this happened there, that happened there. Ooh, that. Don't do that again. You know, how many know those ones? Yes, it's called maturing. It's called growing up. We have things that we've done in the past we're not proud of and we've learned never to do them again. And sometimes we don't learn and we repeat and repeat. And slowly the patterns diminish and lose their power. They may not be eliminated, but they lose their hold on us. I think there's value in looking back in our lives and learning from our history properly. So when we look back, it's a a sense of, okay, I'm doing a quick glance back. Yup, oh my goodness, a good reminder. I needed that. And then looking looking at the journey of how you got to where you are today. How many times do we stop and think, where was I 10 years ago? Where was I five years ago? For some of us, where were we 20 years ago? <laughs> you know, I wasn't born yet, some of you are saying. Yeah, I know. Where was I and how did I get to where I am now? Look how much I've changed and matured. Looking back has value. Where was God in your life five years ago, ten years ago? Has there been any progression, any change of an awareness of the presence of God in your life? That is an important question to ask. Because all through scripture, there are some encouragements of how to look back, and almost all of them have the front word look as well. We're going to cover that next week. And um, it's a good chance I won't get finished today, which is totally fine. Just just from the scriptures that I'm hoping to touch on, there's, there's a lot of really good news. So today, I'd like you to bow your heads in a word of prayer with me. And ask God to show you how to look back better. How to learn from the past what to take with you into the future. Because the future is where we're heading. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning we pray you be the great teacher. You be the one to organize our thoughts. Will you be the one, please, to organize what we see in the past and what we need to learn from. May you be the one, not us. Otherwise, we may pick the wrong stuff to dwell on. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, the author and perfecter of our faith, so that we become more and more perfect 
in our actions. Even though you have made us perfect, we are still becoming perfect in a process. And we love that. And we thank you for the journey. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. We started the year off with this verse. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. For the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn at the time of the Lord's favor that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel he will give a crown of beauty for ashes. A joyous blessing instead of mourning. Festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, repair cities long ago de- destroyed. They will revive them, though they have been deserted for by many generations. Foreigners will be your servants. They will feed your flocks and plow your fields and tend your vineyards. They will be called priests of the Lord, ministers of our God. You will, free, uh, you will, you will feed on the treasures of the nations and boast in their riches. Instead of shame and dishonor, you will enjoy a double share of honor. You will possess a double portion of prosperity in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. This is a prophecy for you and I. Now, each one of us may have heard a different emphasis in in what I read, because there's a lot of stuff there. But there's a lot of exchanges, too. A lot of exchanges that God promises. He says here, instead of ashes. I'm going to give you a crown of beauty. There are many who've seen their lives ruined, and even some have physically had their lives ruined by fire and destroyed homes, and, and even their, their financial world has crumbled to nothing, and they have nothing. But there is a promise. There is a restoration in Christ that has come. There's also going to be, instead of mourning, joyful blessing. Encourage, joyful blessing, not not. Not mourning of in, in deep sadness. There are times to mourn. But the time of joy has come. Festive praise instead of despair. And there are many that are in despair, even this time of year. It's kind of weird that at the holiday time, um, our routines are all shot. You know, and you wonder why people may be getting edgy and agitated in their in your families, and why is so and so? Why do they seem upset all the time? Well, because routines shifted, and they don't know how to handle the shift, and they haven't had time to shift because you've been so busy taking care of all the stuff that has been taken care of, and now it's over today. And you go, huh? They're trying to figure it out. Nobody's figured it out yet, but you've been given a chance to move from those things to joy. And God has given that to you as a gift. You can choose to grab a hold of it or not. Many things in this verse about good news. I'm going to stick to the first one for a moment. First one here, this is the good news to end the year because we started with this year. For the Lord has anointed me. Period. Right there. You have been anointed by God. He has filled you with his spirit. You are children of God. You are declared righteous anointed, and the power of Christ lives in you. 
Did you stop think about that? Or do we only focus on this little bitty baby that gets shot into a little tiny womb and, and the angel comes and scares the daylights out of Mary and you're going to have a baby and she has a baby and, the, and all the sad story that goes with it and it's all nice and we celebrate Christmas. That's fine. That's not even the part we're told to remember. Do you realize Christmas is not even, we're not even told to remember Christmas? That's not it at all. Easter's the only thing we're called to remember. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. There's nothing said by anybody about Christmas. And yet, all this emphasis. And now, is there anything wrong with it? No way. We are humans designed to have monuments of memories. To remember things in our lives. That's why we have birthdays. To remember the birthday. Anniversaries. We have monuments outside to commemorate special events that have happened in our world and in our communities. Those things are important to us. We need those things. Do you know what those are called? Ooh, and being in a Protestant church here, uh, they're called icons. What? Yes! We got nothing up here. We got no cross, an image of a logo on the wall, which is really important. Wait a minute. An image on the wall that is really important. Hmm. An icon. Have you ever looked at other churches and denominations and went, oh, they got some weird symbols, man. And I got, I hate their outfits. Like I could never dress like that. Now, if you're a clergy, they have more outfits for the clergy, okay? Like, it's, it's bizarre, okay? And we, we may mock them. We, there, there are pictures that they have. Some, some are thinking, man, you can do better artistry than that. If you would only learn that those pictures came from history, and those icons have purpose and meaning. Do you remember last week we talked about tradition is the living faith of the dead, traditionalism is the dead faith of the living? The question is, those icons and symbols, what are they to you? Are they the tradition of the living or the tradition of the dead? Do they have meaning still? You, you need to ask these questions. Sometimes we need to pause and put the, put the symbols aside until they re, are reborn and we can find new passion and purpose for them. We don't destroy them. We may have to set them aside to find a new hope in them. You have been made new. God has placed himself in you. This is how we got to end the year, with good news. Especially when times are so busy right now, all we're doing is focusing on keeping things up with the relatives. So, you know, as long as they leave without any fights, yes, we made it. You know, and that, that's a big task. That cannot be the only thing you think about. Listen carefully to the voice of God in you through the rest of the holidays. Listen for his voice because he is speaking. He is whispering into your mind. He's going to whisper something different in almost every person's mind here. Every one of you, young and old, he's going to whisper something. It could be as simple as, you're my beloved and that is your message for today. That's it. Because you don't feel loved. Beloved. That may be the only message. He may be reminding you of something else, of his great glory in you. But he is speaking to you. Always. Remember, you're, you're one with him. You're not distant from him. This is critical. Next. Philippians chapter 3. 
my notes say to read the entire chapter, but I know that, well, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to do it anyway. Okay. There's something in here for each of you today. In this text, even though I'm going to focus on that, this is about looking back and ahead. So please hear with your ears. And if you have to close your eyes so you're not distracted by this, then go ahead. You know, whatever it takes, uh, just listen to these words because Paul wants to speak some power into your life. And this is the focus. I'm going to read this. Dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. You have been called. You are called. Non-negotiable. We look ahead. So, let's take this verse in context and see what it says. Whatever happens, chapter 3, verse 1 of Philippians, whatever happens to your brothers and sisters, may the Lord give you joy. Wait a minute. Did did you catch that? Whatever happens, no matter what your circumstance, you have been given joy. I don't feel joy right now. I don't care what you feel. You have joy in you because Christ is your joy. The peace of Christ is your joy. It's something in you. It's not a feeling. It's the acknowledgement of a presence of something greater than you in you. And realizing, (gasps) really? You'd come into me like this? Ah, it's so amazing. Then the joy takes over. That's God-inspired joy. Whatever happens, dear brothers and sisters, may the Lord give you joy. I never get tired of telling you this. I am doing this for your own good. Watch out for those dogs, those wicked men and their evil deeds, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we worship God in spirit. Uh, for we who worship God in the spirit are the ones, only ones that, truly, that are truly circumcised. We put no confidence in human effort. Instead, we boast about what Christ Jesus has done for us. He is saying, guys, don't be led astray by religious people who use religion as the way of getting right and close with God. Don't let systems and rules become a replacement for Jesus. Because those things pull you into a thing called legalism. You have been called to grace. You're not called to rules and systems. There are systems and rules in our world because we live with other people. If it was just you, you wouldn't need systems. Or would you? But because we live with others, there are systems in place. But he is talking about religious systems. New ways of making yourselves right with God. So somebody can say, okay, here's the list of, here's how you get right with God. Here's how you stay right with God. And if you don't follow them, you're not really right with him. And since I'm in charge of the list, you have to all follow my list. That's religion. And he's warning against that. Because what was happening was, there were those Jews that were saying, in order to be truly a Christian, you actually had to get circumcised too. He's saying, no. That is not the case. So he goes on. Yet, oops, yep. 
Yet I could have confidence in myself, if anyone could. If, any, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. So he's saying, hey guys, if you think your works are so amazing, and so wow, and ooh, you know, God sees what you do, and wow. He, he's saying, uh-uh, I, uh, I can brag more than any of you. And so he does a brag fest. But it's not really a brag fest, it's a dig. Because he's using things that people use. Typical people would say, here, I've done this, this, and this, and this. I've been a Sunday school teacher for 22 years. I've got plaques to prove it. I've, I've been a ch- in main, church maintenance. I've cleaned and vacuumed. I've served in the kitchen. Uh, I've been on the board. I've been an elder in the church for 50 years. You know, all, the, all these things. The things. The brag stuff. And he says, hang on. For I was circumcised when I was eight Days old, having been born into a pure-blooded Jewish family that is a branch of the tribe of Benjamin. So I'm a real Jew if there ever was one. What's more, I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. And zealous, ha, yes, in fact, I I harshly persecuted the church. And I obeyed the Jewish law so carefully, I was never accused of any fault. You want to talk about somebody who's anal retentive? <laughs> this is Paul. I once thought all these things were so very important, but now I consider them worthless. Wow, can you say that about your past? All your religious activities? I think there are going to be many, many believers <laughs> who are going to stand before God and go, <gasps> I was doing it for the wrong reason. I had no idea I didn't have to do this. And there are many that are going to stand before God and go, I got to do this stuff. Thanks for letting me. Big difference. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the priceless gain of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I have discarded everything else, counting it all garbage, so that I may have Christ and become one with him. I no longer count my own goodness or my ability to obey God's law, but I trust Christ to save me. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. As a result, I can really know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I can learn what it means to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that somehow I can experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say I have already achieved these things or have already reached perfection, but I keep working towards that day when I finally, I will finally be all that Christ Jesus saved me for and wants me to be. No, dear brothers and sisters, I am still not all I should be. I am focusing all my energies on this one thing, forgetting what is past, looking forward to what lies ahead. I strain to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us up to heaven. I hope all of you who are mature Christians will agree on these things. Ooh, stop there for a minute. I never saw that line before. I hope all of you mature Christians will hear this. See, we have talked about children, young men, or young adults and adults, levels of growing. He's speaking to mature, saying, guys, 
We are called to grow up. He's assuming we know that we do need to grow up. Where are you? Do you want to even grow up? I believe God will make it plain to you if you disagree on any one of these points. But we must be sure to obey the truth we have already learned. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I've told you... Oh, stop there. Do you realize there's a bit of mentoring and modeling going on here? It's important. Models are not perfect. Mentors are not perfect. But they model maturity. They model things that are valuable to us. And even if we don't understand them, sometimes it's okay to model something we don't get so that as we model and and begin to behave a certain way, we then get it. There's value to that. Well, I don't have to. I don't have to follow any rules. I'm at your grace. Okay, immature little child, no problem. You keep saying that and just keep revealing how immature you are. As soon as you can move on to say, I want to learn from those who are ahead of me, who have gone before me, who have wrestled with things I've not wrestled with. The gospel is simple, but it's deeply complex too. Accepting it's simple, believing it's simple, but the journey of maturing is complex and it too is simple. How does that work? Let me know when you figure that out. For I have told you often before, and I have said it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. Their future is eternal destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and all they think about is this life on earth. But we, looking ahead, are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. We are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take these weak mortal bodies of ours, change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same mighty power that he will use to conquer everything everywhere. There's a lot in this. Look back. If you do, look at what you've come from and rejoice. Don't look back at the patterns of negativity. I'm no good. I'm a nothing. Unlovable. Get your eyes off those lies and turn and fix your eyes on Christ. That is the direction we've been called to. I like this from Isaiah 16. Sorry, 43. Verse 16 to 19. I am the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. I called forth the mighty army of Egypt with all of its chariots and horses. I drew them beneath the waves and they drowned, their lives snuffed out like a smoldering candlelight. But forget all that. It is nothing compared to what I'm going to do. For I'm about to do something new. See? I've already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. If you can't see it, maybe we need to stop and ask God to reveal it. Maybe we're just too busy with our own lives. 
Maybe we're just too swamped with the craziness of our calendars. I'm one to speak. But I'm speaking to me. I'm no different than you. I am not at all. I just happen to be in this role, but I struggle with the same, same stuff. Forget all that. It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. And that's what I'm hoping the Lord will do for each of you this coming year in 2016. You'll be able to look ahead and go, huh, what's God got up his sleeve for me? And I promise you this. This is not a whimsical promise. It's a true promise. If you open your eyes and begin in 2016 and say, Father, I expect to see something this year that I didn't see coming. What have you got in store? And you keep asking God all year. And maybe it'll be after day two you got it. <laughs> Who knows? He will show you himself in a very real way in your circumstances, either through a blessing, through a relationship, something new. He'll add to your life value and prosperity. Prosperity either through finances or through relationships or through whatever. He's the definer of what the word means anyway. But if you're not looking for it, you will never see it. Guaranteed. Open your eyes and see. Your perspective matters. James 1, 19 through to 27. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen. Slow to speak. Do you know any relatives that could learn that advice? (laughs) Oh boy. Slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So, here's instruction. Get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. For it has the power to save your soul. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself, eh, walk away, and then you forget what you look like. You see people like that all the time. Mostly college students who look in the mirror, don't care what they look like because their hair is a disaster. They don't care. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, the law of the life of Christ, not the religious law, not the old covenant law, the law of the life of Christ, look perfectly, perfectly into the law that sets you free. If you do that it's, and do what it says and forget what you've heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Wow. Yes, there actually is something you can do to be blessed. Yes, you are blessed already. But you can also be blessed more. Your actions do it. Your attitude does it. Imagine that. We can choose to reject blessings or receive them by our actions. Huh. We haven't talked about that too much here at Hope Fellowship. It's all about what Jesus does. Of course it is. But he's called us to participate in action with him. Really important. If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you're just fooling yourself, and your religion is worthless. 
Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. This word religion here is not talking about the the religion we're used to. The word religion here is the dedication, the ceremonies that bring reverence to God. It's the relationship we have with God. That's what this one's talking about. And of course, when this church started, we had an incredible verse that went like this. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. Let me tell you this. That verse is still very, very, very true. Especially this part. If you look for me wholeheartedly. Wait a minute, I thought God found us. He does. But do you know what he does? He finds you and plants a hunger in you to find him. But the result looks like you found Jesus. You have people say, I found Jesus, I found Jesus. I didn't know he was lost. <laughs> you know? So there's this idea of, I found Jesus, but really he's the one who found you. And if you listen to the hunger he has placed in you, which he does in every single person, what's your response? Go after that hunger wholeheartedly. Of course you're going to find him. Guaranteed. For he is the author. And by the way, it's his job to get your attention. Not you. Well, try harder, kid. Parents, you say that to your kids? Well, you should be following Jesus better. Better than that. Back off. (laughs) You know? Don't put pressure on. Don't put that emphasis on people when you're trying to dictate how God's going to talk to them. You're not God. And he doesn't want you to be God to those people around you. He wants you to do the same thing he's calling those you're talking to to do. That means turn your eyes to Christ and focus on him, not everyone else. You're not called to compare yourself. There's a voice in each one. There's a hunger placed in each one. John 1, 1 to 5, a reminder. This one's big. Why did John start with this? Because this is one of those looking backs that are really, really, really important. Do you even know what your faith is founded on? Do you even know the foundation of everything that you've believed is, is set on the cornerstone? In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we're not talking about the Bible. Okay? We don't worship the Bible. The Bible is the Word of God, but it is a book written by man, inspired by God. Okay? It is the real Word, Logos, that we worship. Jesus. Big difference. Don't get too carried away. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Another translation says, can't comprehend it. Meaning, the light that is shining through everybody is still there, even though people don't know it's there. 
I think it's in the book of John. It says, uh, um, uh, though the light is in them, if that light that is in them is darkness to them, how great is that darkness? Nevertheless, the light is there. We look back and realize from the very beginning we have been created in Christ, by Christ, for Christ. What an important foundation. Don't forget your roots. Romans 12, 1-2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. That means he's really trying to get your attention. To give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Stop. That means you have to think about all he's done for you. We typically don't do that. We quickly go over those verses and zip on. I want the good stuff. Give me the good stuff. Hang on. Take stock of all he's done for you. Because two things will happen. Your attitude will change very quickly, especially if you're in a grumpy mood. You can't help but respond to the good news of Christ with an attitude change, and joy will come to you because it's already in you. The joy in you will wake you up to this good news. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Ooh boy, that's huge. Then you will learn to know what God's will is for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. How many times have we prayed, God, what do you want from me? What's your will? What decision do I have? We, got our, we have our list of all the God, right? Say God, and then you have your own prayer. Well, He's saying, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. This is a hindsight. There are patterns. There are attitudes in this world, predominantly the ones that are like me first, make my wealth become the biggest thing, don't help the poor, all those, these self-serving, independent things. We are not called to independence. We're called to dependence. Although we want our kids to become independent, that's a different kind of independence. Welcome to the tension of growing spiritually and as a teenager. We want them to be independent, yet we want them to be dependent on God. How, how, how do we teach them? I don't know. I haven't figured that out. I'm still trying to figure it out. But this is good news. And you want to know what the will of God is? He's saying here, He wants to change the way you think. It begins in your mind and what you think about. You want to know what God's will is for you? I'm going to give you a short answer. This is the best way to end 2015, by telling you what God's will is for you. Woo, awesome. We should take up our offering now and then. No, I'm kidding. It's simple. The will of God for you is a person. His name is Jesus. That is his will for you. And when you live from his will in you, he will guide your steps. Be a light to your path. Guide and direct you. We may make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps, it says in Proverbs. Let him be his will in you by yielding to who he is in you. I got probably eight more slides. We're done, though. Because that's it. I want you to hear good news. 
The will of God is Jesus. He wants you to believe. He not only wants to believe, that's one step, but he wants you to grow in maturity in his will. To know him better and better, that his full power can be lived out through you victoriously. It's got to be good news. And Jesus is good news. Oh, that's called the gospel. Huh? Funny how that is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you sent Jesus to be good news, the gospel to us. And thank you that you have sent light, the revelation of Jesus, into every human somehow. Many have rejected, and that is their choice. Some may not even know your light is shining through them. Will you wake them up to that reality so that they may believe? Father, may we as a church family grow in maturity to move beyond the pablum of grace teaching and move on to the action of living a life filled by the Spirit of Christ. That we may become active. That we may become a blessing to others. And not just beg for blessings, but instead give and be blessings. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.